0: University Baptist Church is a faith community striving to think critically, live creatively, and love continually in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We gather on Sunday mornings at 5775 Highland Road between Lee Drive and Kenilworth Parkland. Visit ubc-br.org or at UBCBR on Facebook for more information. We'll take a look at the book of Genesis, chapter 12, verse 1. There's an old African proverb that goes, the axe forgets what the tree remembers. Have you found this to be true in your life? Often we are the blunt end of someone else's words or decisions. You are the tree that remembers the blow that has dealt you, while the axe just moves on to the next tree. The axe forgets what the tree remembers. It's classified as uh, an apothem. Apothem joins the the club of words that are not exactly pronounced the way they're spelled. A more notable word might be kernel. No, seriously, it should be spelled K-E-R-N-E-L, or it should be pronounced a completely different way. Apothem comes from the Greek word apothema, which means something like clearly spoken or declared. It also means one that speaks one's opinion plainly. You see, a single word or phrase can have a powerful impact on the way that we see ourselves and the world around us. We know the quotes of people like Mandela, MLK, Gandhi, Benjamin Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, Mother Teresa, Steve Jobs, and many others. A terse and instructive remark can cause us to pause or rethink things. That's why we're taking a look at eight simple sayings That will change everything. And we're starting this series Apothem as we look at these simple and yet profound sayings. So for this morning we're going to take a look at the phrase yes. And for this we look at the book of Genesis chapter 12 verse 1. Now we're about to plunge into the life of Abraham and we'll actually quite literally read the story of Abraham before he becomes Abraham, the father of a great nation, before God's great promise to him. Here we will just find a man who's merely a son in his father's tribe. Verse 1 reads, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Have you ever been sitting there minding your own business when a disembodied voice starts talking to you? <laughs> More likely than not, you would think that you're losing it. And you certainly wouldn't go around telling other people out of fear that they might institutionalize you. And what makes this situation even more peculiar is that this disembodied voice tells Abram to leave his homeland, his father's house, and to go to an undetermined place. What would you honestly think if you were Abraham in this moment? Look back at verse 1. It says, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. If you were to stop right here, it would be completely warranted to you to say to this invitation just how obnoxiously ridiculous or ridiculously obnoxious this invitation is. Let's put to the side the disembodied voice aspect of this conversation just for a a second to unpack what God is really asking Abram. In your transient world that we now live in, we, we travel with ease on the interstate highway system. We can hop on a plane and be on the other side of the country within hours where many folks will relocate at least two or three times in their lifetime, we don't see a problem to this invitation. However, in Abram's day, you stayed with the same family and tribe your entire life. This was not suburban neighborhoods where people would come and go based on finding better job opportunities. No, this was a closely connected tribal system. The tribe protected you from other people, from invading tribes, supported one another by sharing resources, manufactured goods for sale for each other and other tribes, and migrated from location to location based on the fertile nature of the land and the season. They went where they knew they would find success, and they went only together. So we will soon learn that Abram is 75 years old at this time, which means he, he stands to gain if not all, but most of his father's estate and goods and servants and livestock and treasures. And his father's tribe meant more than just protection and comfort and financial security. It was also an ancestral link to the past, present and the future. Their history, their gods, their culture were all bound together in an inseparable bond. And and is this... God who is this god talking to Abraham anyways this was not a period of monotheism every tribe would have had a series of gods that they would have worshiped and not to mention the common gods that were found in the world around them unless we not forget that this god is promising to make a great nation out of Abraham which virtually is impossible considering he has no children and he's up there in years and so yes This is an an obnoxiously ridiculous invitation. Essentially, God is asking Abraham to walk away from your culture, your religious perspectives, your tribe, your comfort, your security, what's familiar and known and guaranteed to go to an undetermined location. Of course, Abram was going to reject this invitation outright. And in verse 4, he's going to take his stand. So Abraham went as the Lord told him. Okay, I completely did not see that coming. What was Abraham thinking? Who is this God over the other gods that told him to be faithful to his family, to his land? Why would he accept such a request? When you stop and think about it, we have a hard time with this story Because at face value, we have such trepidation in saying yes. Psychologists have found that most people tend to say yes if at least one of the following factors are in play. First, saying yes has to be reciprocal, meaning I have to get something out of it. Second, yes has to fit into our typical commitments and consistency. Third, we are typically only willing to say yes to figures of authority or of expertise. Fourth, saying yes has to give us social validation. Fifth, we might say yes if it's taking advantage of a scarcity and finally we will say yes if it's a likable circumstance. Saying no has become such easy thing to do in our isolated culture. Since we no longer depend on a tribe for protection against prowling wild animals or invading barbarian hordes, As a result, we live in further proximity from others. Many of the requests that come are, uh, come from the way of text and emails and phone calls that in our world of culture, we can simply just ignore these things. We're super busy people, at least we make ourselves out to be, leading us easily to say no because we don't have time for it. Many of us, if not all of us, we want to know what's going to happen before we commit to anything. Who's going to be there? How much will it cost? How much time will it take? What will be expected of me? For others of us, we will rationalize no to death because saying yes just doesn't make logical sense. So yes, we do have major trepidations with yes. The problem for us when it boils down to it is there are three possible answers to life's calling. Yes, no, or maybe. Did you ever see that Jim Carrey movie uh, back from years ago called Yes Man? It's based on a real-life memoir of a man named Danny Wallace who faced a crossroads in his life. He's, He's down, he hated his job, he was recently dumped by his girlfriend and couldn't seem to get things in order. And it happened to be he had a conversation with a stranger on a bus who taken a vow of yes, meaning that for a period of time they would say yes to every opportunity that came their way. And the stranger said to him, the people without passion are the ones who always say no, but the happiest people are the ones who understand the good things that occur when we allow ourselves to them. Danny takes this same vow to remain um, for, for months, for a year. He would challenge uh, himself to say yes to everything, and it changed his life forever. On a small note, uh, Jim Carrey was paid $32 million for this movie, so that wasn't a hard yes for Jim Carrey. Let me be clear. I don't think that the passage from Genesis 12 is calling us to take a yes vow, saying yes to every opportunity that comes our way. And yet we need to ask ourselves some hard questions about the causation and the drive for our eagerness to say no rather than yes in our life stop and consider what are you afraid of i'd say fear is the number one causation behind most of our nos we fear the unknown we fear uncertainty but we also fear what's out of our control our self-made security and our desire for ourselves We fear what we can't rationalize, what doesn't fit into our five-year plan, what doesn't seem to make sense. Is God inviting you onto a journey that requires a yes? And how often does God encounter us each day through situations and individuals that we maybe do not realize are invitations into something different and new? Consider what and who you have said yes to but have told God no. Sometimes it's not so much where or someone that God is calling us to, but maybe to change the way that we think, the way that we see this world. But how easily do we say no to God holding tightly to our own way? What miracles are we missing out of because we say no? We put in the language of Genesis 12 What blessings are we missing out of because we say no to God time and time again? See, for many of us, we let fear instead of creativity and love guide us to rationalize a no. Look back at verse 4. So Abraham went, as the Lord told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out for Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abraham traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah, of sechem. And at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, to your offsprings I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord, who had appeared to him. From there he went towards the the hill east of Bethel, and pitched his tent. With Bethel on the west and Ai on the east, there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abraham set out to continue towards the Negev. For many people, the significance of these verses get droned out by all those complicated-sounding places that Abraham and his companions journeyed through. First, A- Abraham didn't set out alone. He took his, his wife and Lot and a few household members. Of course, we know that Abraham and Sarai didn't have children, so it wasn't a huge caravan. As one person translated it, they pulled up the stakes and set out on their journey. Archaeologists and historians have argued that the journey laid out in verses 4 through 9 are nearly 700 miles. This took time walking in mule carts more likely than not, this would have taken them years. You see, sometimes we have this false notion that saying yes to God and yes to life is an outcome that will will take place just overnight. There is no journey, no sacrifice, no commitment of time, and yet Abraham's story, uh, it, it dispels that notion by showing us that yes is setting out on a journey. But along the way, we see Abraham and his companions stopping at significant places, such as the great tree of Moray. This was an ancient site of worship. Later, uh, Abram built two altars to God. In the ancient Near East, no sacrifice would have been offered unless someone believed that the presence of a deity was there. So what we learn from these two significant stops, the great tree of Moreh and the two altar sites, is that Abraham believed that God was with him along the way in this journey of yes. This was made even more clear in verse 7, when God reminds Abram along the journey that God is fulfilling God's promise of giving him offspring that will become a great nation. Abram teaches us another vital lesson of our yes journey is that God is present with us along the way. Yes, giving up comfort and security and inheritance and familiarity in a religious worldview. But yes came with all forms of new ways that God was showing God's presence in Abraham's life. The yes journey is an ongoing process of discovering and faithfulness to and through God's leadership. And it's along the way that we, we grow and we learn and we become who God is shaping us to be. Along the journey, we become more capable of the end results of God's invitation in and through our lives. Thinking back to significant turning points in your life, I'm sure there was a yes that made it happen. When I was in high school, you could label me as an anti-academic. I had test anxiety out the wazoo combined with the only thing I was interested in was football, wrestling, theater, and girls. Maybe not in that order. (laughs) So when it came time to start applying for colleges, I got waitlisted by a number of schools on my list. One school gave me a phone interview listening to my story and my passions and my dreams, and despite the fact that at that time I didn't meet their criteria, they said yes. And in my first semester of college, I fell in love with academics, which later opened the door for me to then receive a full ride to graduate school, divinity school, and now I'm in a doctoral program. You know, I look back and see the traces of God along the way. Look back at verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abraham went to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. Hold on, hold on. They get to the land promised by God, settled there, only to have to pack up and leave for Egypt because of a famine. Literally, their 700-mile journey from Ur to Canaan then led them on an 800-mile journey to Egypt. As much as we might not like it, a faithful journey is not linear, but a continual process of development. In other words, yeses are continually active, not passive. But when you think about it, Most of the significant times in our life are not typically passive, but active. The times when our body and our mind are stretched to the limit in an effort to accomplish something difficult and worthwhile. As one author put it, where's the action? There's movement and energy, kinetic and catalytic force. Yes, we have moments of arrival in our faith. However, they're not places where we stop and settle forever there's yet another journey to take, another path to forge. When we say yes to God, we are continuing to become more attuned to how God is working in our lives and the challenges that we face each and every day. There's several other key pieces to this text that I think we should learn. And the first thing is how God is inviting you now. Every day, God is moving and at work in our lives and in the world. Those people and circumstances you encounter each day are not haphazard nor unintentional things. God, a God who's described as love, is one that desires to bless God's creation. That's both a cosmic and personal fact. Jesus tells us that God desires to bless us. We see this in the life of Abraham. And yet the invitation of Jesus is to continually change our way of thinking and living. In a sense... It's continually to say yes to who Jesus desires for us to be. So what is God inviting you to now that you might not realize? What blessings are you not seeing? What journey are you unaware? Do you believe that God is at work in your life? Do you believe that God is inviting you into something better, fuller, richer and more vibrant. Or maybe we are completely unaware of what God is inviting us into because we're consumed with fear and trepidation and the desire for control and a rationality that makes sense. Again, why would Abraham leave all that comfort and security and certainty for the unknown? As one author put it, a huge part of courage is just accepting No, taking responsibility for your life, understanding that you are the mover and shaker, the one who calls the shots. In other words, you have to decide yes or no. What would happen today if you decided yes? How can you imagine growing and changing? Psychologists have found that committing to what you think is best is one of the most powerful ways to resist what you do not want to become. I think of some other yes stories from my life. I received my calling to ministry at the age of 14, and I swore that I would never work in the church. I wanted to be an evangelist or a missionary. However, after returning, um, serving for three months in the country of Sri Lanka after the 2004 tsunami, I started to sense a desire that God was calling me into the church. You see, for those three months, I served along. One of the best pastors I have ever seen who, who journey beside people who cared for them day to day and year to year. And I came home, and I began applying to churches. And my first call and interview was to First Baptist Church of Clayton, North Carolina, who was hiring a youth minister. Mind you, while I had never worked inside the church, I had worked alongside the church. I didn't have direct experience, and yet they listened and they discerned saying yes to hire me. And over the next seven and a half years, we saw the youth ministry quadruple in size. The church promoted me to become their associate pastor. We created a local and domestic and international missional program. And this is the church that ordained me. However, after seven years, I began to sense a calling to start a church. And not knowing how they might respond, I shared a vision and calling with the deacon board. And without me asking to, the church said yes, and then they provided nearly $100,000 to support this new church start. That yes vote propelled me to become a pastor of a thriving new church start for nearly eight years. And in the months leading up to the conception of this church, the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship connected with me, saying yes to training and commissioning me. And in a few years, that yes turned into an invitation to then help me lead the Church Start Initiative for Cooperative Baptist Church, helping start dozens of churches across the country. Over the course of a 16-year period of my life, these yeses, not necessarily that I said, but that others said, shaped and formed me and literally helped me impact thousands of lives. And I think the last thing I want us to take away from this text is this. What we don't tend to recognize is that our yes blessings bless others in turn. The story of Abraham goes from a tribal story into an individual narrative. But because Abram was willing to say yes to God, the story moved from an individual narrative into a global story. For we know that Abram would become the father of a great nation birthing the Hebrew people. God told Abram that this blessing of leaving and going to where I will show you will in turn bless others. We never know when our willingness to say yes will help form a narrative that will touch the entire world. It's amazing how impactful a simple phrase can be. Yes.